I am the very model model of a minor major general. I something something animal, vegetable, and mineral. <laughs> We're not using that. <laughs> you are listening to a very special episode of Expert Citation. The Magic of Psychology with Dr. Billy San Juan. Hi there. Welcome to Expert Citation. Uh, I'm Joe Cuevas. I am the host of Expert Citation, and normally I am joined by Kelsey McCoy and Tyler Birch, but not this week. This is a little bit of an oddity. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our recording schedule got sort of messed up because uh, Kelsey and Tyler were both studying for their PhD qualifying exams, and then I uh, went to San Diego Comic-Con. So during that week, what we did was we produced two half episodes, and this is one of those two episodes. Uh, during San Diego Comic-Con, I sat down with a friend and colleague, Dr. Billy San Juan. He is a doctor of psychology, uh, and we talked a little bit about Magic the Gathering and how you can apply psychology to the game and the community involved therein. Uh, and we also talked a little bit about Batman, who has a lot of really interesting psychology associated with him uh, in various incarnations. And we also touched a little bit on one other topic. And it's a really interesting episode. I am recording this just after I finished editing it, so I promise it is a quality episode. Billy is a great person to just listen to. If you are ever at a convention that he does, like if you live on the West Coast and you go to WonderCon or Kamikaze or San Diego Comic-Con, I definitely recommend you check out the panels that he and his colleagues put on because they have some very interesting insight on the power of narrative, on the power of psychology, and how that helps us understand the world around us through the power of science and science fiction and fiction in general. So that's sort of the conceit of this episode, I suppose. And now I am going to throw over to myself sitting on the floor of the San Diego Convention Center during San Diego Comic-Con 2016. Joe? Okay. And three, two, one. Hey guys, so I've been wandering around San Diego Comic-Con for around two days now, and I have, in fact, found science here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little strange to expect science at the science fiction convention, I'm sure, but uh, hey, I found, a, I found a guy who seems to know what he's talking about. Hello, my name is Dr. Billy San Juan, and I oppose what Jose is saying. I actually have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, I find it hilarious that 
he's searching for science the way the same way I'm searching for Pokemon at Comic Con. Um, he found a uh, level a CP27 biology a couple meters away. Had to use a great ball on it. Um, but in all seriousness, my name is Dr. Billy San Juan. I'm a doctor of psychology um, and a bona fide nerd. Been a nerd all my life. Um, doctors tried to cure it. They couldn't find the cure, so I just kind of go with it. Um, here at San Diego Comic-Con, I am on two panels on Saturday. Um, at 6 o'clock, I am on the Evolution of Geek Culture panel, where we look at uh, culture, the culture of nerddom and geekdom and how it's evolved through the different decades. Uh, I'd like to interject really quickly. That's sort of like a nice anthropology lesson, if anthropology, sociology lesson. Absolutely. It actually encompasses a lot of things. Um, it encompasses not only anthropology and sociology, but also, you know, my field of study, psychology. Absolutely. Uh, especially social psychology. Right. And for anyone who's not science in the field of science, as you're, uh, as you're listening to this, it also applies to business and marketing. You know, nerd culture and geek culture has gotten so so large that people are making a mint off of it because of how well it can be advertised. Um, one of the things a lot of people don't realize is the inks and the color schemes used in comic books, the bright colors, contrasting colors, um, a lot of that goes into advertising as well, trying to find color schemes that either catch the eye or make you instinctually want to buy something. Absolutely. Iron Man and McDonald's are both red and yellow. Exactly. And Iron Man, like McDonald's, is delicious. He said as he drew a long sip of lemonade and looked forlornly. Uh, so let's get into the questions, I guess. Uh, that was a wonderful introduction on who you are and what you do. Uh, but I guess the big question is, you being a psychologist who's been at the forefront of this nerddom pop culture world for your entire life. Why apply something like psychology to pop culture? I don't know if I've been at the forefront. Or not, not um, necessarily the forefront, but you've been in the, in the world. I have. I, I've been fortunate enough to have amazing uh, colleagues who have brought me into the fold sure. uh, and helped me combine my career of psychology with my love of the people in the community. Um, Shout outs to people like Dr. Janina Scarlett and Dr. Travis Langley, um, who, who I believe are the forefront of this, com this amalgamation. In addition to that, and I think this ties into some of what we're going to be talking about, um, I'm also a huge Magic the Gathering fan. I play, I'm a judge. Um, I've worked with Wizards of the Coast once or twice um, to do some customer service stuff. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said about the psychology of not only the game Magic the Gathering, but also the concepts and themes in it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take this moment to say that I served alongside Billy as a judge uh, for a year. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful community, and I, th and I really appreciate that you do keep mentioning that, because the Magic community is, a, is such an interesting thing. Uh, and the, ga the game itself has so many different... Uh, story concepts. You can, uh, you are drawn to these characters and worlds much uh, in the way that you are drawn to characters and worlds from other properties. Uh, and 
Let's take, for example, a Planeswalker. That's sort of the superhero of the Magic the Gathering uh, multiverse as it stands. Uh, and these are characters who embody certain colors and certain, uh, certain modes of thinking, certain psyches. Uh, and so why do you think magic players are drawn to characters like that? Character play Even amongst Planeswalkers, they are so different from each other, like Jace is, uh, Jace is a very intelligent, a very patient young man, uh, whereas Chandra is a little more impulsive, she's a little more hot-headed. Well, it goes a little bit into, uh, if we break it down psychologically, uh, there are things called uh, personality traits. And there's a couple theories here and there of which traits make up a person's psyche. I think we can apply that to the five colors of Magic the Gathering. Uh, so let's, uh, let's actually draw back for those who may be unfamiliar with Magic the Gathering uh, from a story or from a mechanical perspective. The uh, color pie sort of plays into both, and there are five colors. White, blue, uh, black, red, and green. Red and, green. Uh, and these colors are connected to each other in several ways, and they embody different things uh, in the world, in the worlds, uh, and uh, in individuals. Yes, white is the color of uh, honor and justice and purity. But not necessarily good. Not necessarily good. That is one thing I love about this game, is good and bad are um, a lot of times concepts that don't exist. Yes. So white is the color of you know, kind of individuals working together to create something bigger than the sum of themselves. Right. Uh, blue is the color of intellect and deceit, illusion, using your enemy's strengths and turning them into weaknesses. Uh, using using your enemy's strengths against them. Um, turning it's like, your enemy's strengths into your strengths. Exactly. Adaptability. It's like uh, jujitsu. It's blue jitsu. Black is the color of uh, death, decay. I don't want to say betrayal because that's between blue and blackish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they are bordering colors, which is another concept in magic where it's a trait that does appear in both to varying degrees, uh, and there are characters who exhibit that trait that may belong to one or both colors. Exactly. And we'll get into color combinations in a bit, because that kind of ties into personality yeah. uh, traits. Red is the color of impulsivity and anger. And uh, green is the, the color of nature and growth and the uh, evolution of things. The colors lie on a spectrum of a, uh, the spectrum shaped in a wheel. So there are some concepts that are opposite in philosophy. Uh, for example, um, blue, which is the color of intellect and deceit, patience, is opposed to red because intellect, deceit, and patience are opposed to impulsivity and um, anger, wanting to get things done as fast as you can. Right. There's a very uh, distinct difference, uh, a opposite difference between planning something out and having this meticulous plan as opposed to, fuck it, we'll do it live. Exactly. Um, which sometimes you start off with the first thing and it ends up being the second thing, but that's life. But that also goes back to, uh, even though these colors are opposing, even though these ideas are opposing, individuals can embody both. Yes. And that is, 
that's one of those concepts from magic that is directly applicable uh, directly applicable to psychology and vice versa right. a lot of times people will have personality traits that appear to be dichotomous but they work together right there are very there's the big five theory of personality um, there are personality scales that use um, various spectrum there's there's a test called the MMPI a test called the MCMI um, yeah a couple others MEOPIR which studies the big five but that being said the thing I like about magic is it allows people to explore personality traits in an, in an interactive way that may be not how they usually handle situations. Absolutely. Um, for example, I like to think I'm a patient man, and I like to think I like to plan things out, um, not to the point to where I'm a quote-unquote control freak, but I like to take my time. Sure. But I love me a fast deck. <laughs> I love I love just coming in with. You know, well, red deck wins. Red, red deck wins when I'm drafting. You know, I'll come in at you with two drops all day long. Two drops and then finish you off with a, a universal pump spell. I'll overgrowth on you. I'll overgrowth so on you. It's so satisfying. Magic is a fun, fun game for you to explore those types of things. Going back to those different modes of playing, you can also seek different sorts of things when you're playing Magic. For example, I don't necessarily care about winning when I'm playing a game of Magic. I care about doing something that probably shouldn't have worked. There are games for these three different modes of thinking. Uh, they're usually considered to be roughly three modes of thinking in this respect as well. Yes. Uh, Timmy, Johnny, and Spike. Yeah. So these were terms created by uh, Mark Rosewater. And I believe they were created by Mark. I could be wrong. I think they were created by yeah, they had to have. It's been a while since I've read it. So. Mark is one of those guys to where if we don't know who created it, we'll just pretend it was Mark Rosewater, because it's probably true. Yeah. Um, Mark Rosewater is, by the way, uh, the current head designer of Medical Gathering. And a wonderful man overall. Yes. So Mark created these three... Uh, oh, I forgot what they're called. Something graphs. Psychograph. No. Yeah, psych Psychograph. psychographs. That sounds right. Sure, we'll go with that. So a there Timmy. Are three psychographs. Yes, there are three psychographs. A Timmy is someone who enjoys playing the game. I guess stereotypically, maybe newer to the game, enjoys playing. Well, it's not necessarily inverse. No, not at all. But it's also one of the. It's it's a uh, it's a player who enjoys casting a huge creature. And then beating that to the opponent's face. Yes. Um, look at how cool and big my creature is. This game is so awesome. I just summoned a giant dragon. A Johnny is someone who's interested in the, the interactions between the cards. Right. Um, someone who goes, wow, these three or four cards have a great interaction. When I play, I'm going to try and get that interaction to work. Yeah, that's exactly why I actually became a magic judge, because it was so interesting to think about, okay, here's this rules engine, and here's these objects interacting in that rules engine. Uh, let's see if I can learn even more about this. And then I did. <laughs> and you were a damn good judge. Thank you. 
judging, by the way, is the Rules Enforcement Committee uh, community for uh, Magic the Gathering. So, and then Spike, I believe, is the more competitive player. Yes. I mean, cares about interactions to the point where, how will it help me win? Yes. Cares about the cards to the point of, how will it help me win? And just like, uh, just like colors, these aren't mutually exclusive either. Uh, you can yes. inhabit all of these at the same time. You can inhabit one of them at a given time. They're multimodal, and a lot of times they lie on a spectrum. Yes. For that's something I love about uh, both the color wheel and about the uh, three psychographs in Magic, where you have these multimodal things, uh, and you can sort of pinpoint yourself. And while that may be true in that moment, that isn't necessarily always true for whenever you're playing or even... Uh, even within the same game. Exactly. Uh, for example, there are different formats for Magic the Gathering. Um, there's a big casual format called Commander, um, informally known as EDH, Elder Dragon Highlander. There is... There uh, be one. Yep, we're nerds. Uh, <laughs> and then there's uh, Draft, which is a limited format, which is build your deck on the spot. If you've played Hearthstone, that's akin to the Arena format. Yes, which Hearthstone, amazing game. Yes. And then there's Constructed, where you build your own deck prior, and then you face off. And even within Constructed, there are, uh, there are further uh, split pairs. Exactly. Um, I tend to be pretty spiky when I play Constructed formats. Sure. Um, and even when I draft in limited formats. But I, uh, I like to think I'm pretty... Uh, I'm somewhere between a Timmy and a Johnny... I'm a Jimmy. I'm a Jimmy when I play uh, Commander. Yeah. I actually have a deck dedicated to Chaos. I'm kind of known for it at my local game store. Yeah. Every uh, other card messes up the game. Yeah. Sorry, we're getting way off topic of science. <laughs> no, but um, I think Commander is a great format to explore um, satisfaction of large things and satisfaction of interacting objects where you can set off multiple reactions to achieve this massive creature and then just primarily bash face. Uh, I, lo I, lo I love how that sentence evolved. <laughs> that, was, that was the it idea. It was evolved and then just bash face. Yes, I was trying to embody the, uh, the Johnny to get to the Timmy. Ah, which I think is, uh, which nice. I think is something that happens a lot in Commander. That was deep, man. Yeah. That was deep. Uh, but let's get back to You're a deep man, Jose. <laughs> There's also, in Magic, a lot of statistics. Yeah. Um, statistics I am horrible with. But it's so fun to use math to build your deck. Well, you use math and there are ratios. You could probably, you're probably more qualified to speak on that than I am. Oh man, I am not that great constructed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a lot better at drafting and I'm not that great at limited. <laughs> Well, drafting is limited. Yeah, no, I think, but I think, uh, I think I'm better at sealed personally. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> but I think the main takeaway is Magic is a great game because there are multiple modes of thinking you use when you're playing the game, and even engaging with the story, there are these characters that are so resonant, in great part due to these same modes of thinking. Well, also, you know, there are pe when people play any sort of fantasy game and or or involved in the science fiction uh, genre. People get involved for different reasons. Right. For some people, it's an escape. Yeah. Uh, from a monotonous or maybe difficult life. 
for some people, it's you know, it's inspiring. Right. Um, for some people, it's especially when it comes to sci-fi games or games in general, gaming. It's uh, it's the challenge of winning. It's a mental sport. So it really differs for everyone, and you find that in Magic: The Gathering. Um, you know, you'll have a draft. You'll have some people who draft to win and take it very seriously. You'll have someone drafting the shiny cards because they're pretty. So it's a nice little microcosm of the real world. Yeah. And, and you see that at any drafted. Like when I was, uh, when I was playing, still playing Magic fairly, fairly weekly, uh, I, that was around the time uh, that Magic 2015... That was a thing, I think. That had slivers in it, right? 2015 had slivers, yeah. Yeah. 2015 and 14? I don't remember if 14 did. 15 did. 14 might have had... I don't remember if 14 did. No, they. I think they only came back in 15. Yeah, so in Magic 2015, I uh, I was like, oh, hey, slivers are back. I'm going to pull slivers. Nice. Uh, because at that point in time, what I wanted out of the game was a fun thing that interacted with itself and slivers were a great way to go uh, between that Timmy and Johnny where exactly. uh, where I had these creatures that were interacting to get bigger and it was awesome yes. and there's that fun aspect to it like it wasn't just about yeah I think I, think I went 0 for 4 in that, in that draft <laughs> is, that, is that because of what you drafted or is that because of your skills as a player uh, I think it's because I decided to force slivers, and then I drafted all the wrong colors. <laughs> Five-color slivers? That, well, was, that could have been a deck. It, it wasn't five-color slivers. It was like all of my spells were one color, and then all of my slivers were another color. Oh, okay. Two-color two slivers. Oh. Sorry, did I say the slivers were one color? I, said, I meant the slivers were two colors. Okay, three-color slivers. A little more difficult. Yeah. Or was uh, one of those... get the curve right. Was one of those colors green? And you went 0 for 4? Yeah. This just became an intervention for Jose's drafting style. <laughs> so we're going to talk about card evaluation in a drafting format today. Uh, joining us today is Brian Kibler. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian Kibler, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a professional Magic player. Uh, he's in the Hall of, Flame, or Hall of Fame. He's also a uh, kind of a celebrity in the gaming world. He'll also be on our panel on Saturday. So he has joined you at your He panel. has joined us, unless something came up in which he didn't. Um, yeah. He's, he's a pretty nice guy. I like him. Yeah. Damn good magic player. That's an understatement. Uh, it really is. That is a very large understatement. You want to talk about Batman? Yeah. We, uh, we were originally trying to get one of the... Um, one of my colleagues and uh, Dr. Travis Langley, the Batman scholar. The Batman man. Uh, but I have a couple of other questions on here. Uh, what attracts us to say Batman? How do we identify? How do we identify with the man dressed like a bat? Why are we drawn to enduring figures like Batman and Superman? How have they endured for literally seven, 75 years? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. Absolutely, um, that was a lot of questions. It was <laughs> one of the. Uh, one of the things that draws us to people like that is that they're inspiring. And they let us live a fantasy life by proxy. You know, a lot of times 
well, let's take any superhero. They deal with injustice in a way that I cannot deal with injustice for a variety of reasons. You know, if, uh, if I see a robber on the street, yeah, I want to put on a mask and beat them up and serve justice and return the stolen goods and teach him a lesson or her a lesson and I can't do that for legal reasons right. and fear of repercussions right. and the fact that I can't beat anyone up but I get to live that fantasy out with Batman he endured such such significant tragedy and trauma in the loss of his parents that he becomes a relatable character maybe not all of us have lost someone Maybe not all of us um, have experienced trauma, but there's something in his story that just, that touches us. For some people it is, you know, I had a difficult childhood. For some people it's, I never understood my place in the world. Hell, for some people it's, this guy is big and muscular and he beats people up who are bad. Everyone can relate to him, for the most part. Which, uh, and, and that's just like what we were saying earlier, where there all, are these uh, multimodal uh, things. Everyone is complex, and everyone relates to things in different ways. Exactly. But that's the beauty of it, you know? Um, we've seen comic book companies create characters for people who are, uh, say, deaf. Sure. And it means so much because they have someone they can look up to now who understands their struggle and furthermore knows, despite my struggles, I can be strong. In fact, my struggles become my strength. You know, for Batman, one of the, one of the things I love about Batman and other, other comic book heroes um, is when they're not using their physical strength. Uh, there was a, uh, an episode of, I forget if it's Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. One of the two. They're basically they, they're they basically the same, the same. They are the same show. They just added a word and got an extra season or something. They they added a word, got an extra season. Season and Booster Gold is there now. And Booster Gold, but the, not but not the Blue Beetle, which was disappointing. Understood. So there's an episode of Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. Um yeah, it's uh, it's a version of the uh, there's an episode where it's the Royal Flush Gang and. You know, he, there's a lady who's dying. She's a young girl who's dying. And Batman... Batman basically relates to her. Yeah. And he doesn't punch her. He doesn't kick her. He doesn't use the batarang. He sits with her on a swing. And he's with her until she dies. Because she, she has a terminal illness. To me, that's more powerful than, you know, Batman punching the scarecrow. Um, it's kind of like that. Uh, it's kind of like that Michael Bolton song from Hercules. Yeah, I, I brought that up. <laughs> you now have Michael Bolton references in your podcast. <laughs> you know, a, <clears throat> a hero is measured by his heart. Yeah. When you think about it, you give anyone, anyone, superpowers. The determination between them being a villain and them being a hero is what they do with it. And that's such a fine line. It is. It is. And people, a lot of storylines in both comics and movies are skirting that more and more. Um, which I kind of like, because it reflects humanity, right? It's an interesting narrative uh, in, in 
in where we are in the world today. Exactly. And I think that speaks speaks again to the power of narrative, where it helps us make sense of the world in different ways. Uh, and the characters that occupy that world are who we're relating to, because they're people. Yes. Uh, which brings me to actually one of the questions I had written down here. Uh, you personally have uh, gone to many different worlds psychologically, many many different settings. Uh, you've been to the Walking Dead world. You've looked at that. You've uh, you and your colleagues have uh, colleagues have looked at some other settings in this manner as well. I don't remember which of the books you've written on. Uh, Walking no worries. Dead. Walking um, Dead, you contributed to uh, Iron Man versus Captain America. Yes. So uh, I co-wrote a chapter in The Walking Dead uh, with uh, Alan Kistler. I, He's a great man. Uh, Alan is just... If you ever get a chance to be in a room with Alan, have a discussion with him. He lights it up. He lights it up. The man is entertaining as all get out. I have, I have a, a solo chapter in Star Wars Psychology. Right. Um, I have... A chapter that I co-wrote with Alan in Iron Man versus no, I'm sorry, Captain America versus Iron Man. Right, that one. Freedom, security, psychology. So, what draws us to worlds like that? Uh, when, when we're when we as an audience go out and see media in the world, what draws us to these other worlds? I mean, on some level, we know they're fiction, but they're still real. Well, they're fun. Yeah. It you know harbors back to our imaginations and stories that we can relate to. Storytelling is has been around since the dawn of man and for a reason. It's part of our oral history and now printed history, cinematic history, and it reflects the human condition. You know, it's the same way in science. Sometimes you have to use your imagination to move forward. Absolutely. Problem solving. Problem solving. You know, think about a lot of the technology we have, how much of that started off as a concept in science fiction. Yeah. You know, cellular phones. Spock and Kirk were using those to communicate on poorly CGI'd planets years ago, decades ago. And now everyone is on their cellular phones. We caught up up to that before Enterprise came out. Exactly. Which is fascinating. We caught up to the technology before the prequel came out. <laughs> now that's meta. But that's that's another thing that I love about science and science fiction is that they do interface so closely. We as uh, we as a culture of uh, people and uh, subsets including engineers and scientists and dreamers uh, find ourselves galvanized by these narratives and by what we find within. It's very true. It's uh... It's a give and take because science influences science fiction, and then science fiction influences science um, in both concepts and techniques, um, and creating frontiers that didn't once exist. Um, and redefining that frontier is something that I think is an important role that science fiction plays. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The boundaries of that frontier are continuously pushed. Uh, for example, um, my, one of my uh, one of my aforementioned colleagues, uh, Dr. Janina Scarlett, uh, she's using superheroes as a method for treating uh, various mental illness, and it works. Like it's amazing. 
um, we're finding ways to take these concepts and apply them in the realm of reality. And it works. Yeah. And I think all of this, this entire conversation just speaks to the power of story. Oh, yeah. I've, I've Going back to Magic the Gathering, I mean, and trading card games in general, in my dissertation, I checked out how how trading card games affect adolescent development. What are the pros? What are the cons? And sure, there are some cons in terms of if someone is unchecked in how much they buy or spends more time playing than studying, which came up in the study. Sure. But at the same time, the benefits appeared to far outweigh the cons. They're, uh, uh, the, the, the participants were reporting... It helped them in English or reading English. It helped them in math. It helped them. Uh, trading card games helped them in uh, strategy. Trading card games helped them in financial planning. None of these kids, no child, gets a financial planning course in school. But these kids are reading the markets like they would read a stock market. They're investing in cards. They're buying low, selling high. These kids are getting a financial education by playing trading card games. You don't get that in an American school. You don't. And these kids are ahead of the curve because of that. You know, they're making deals. They're doing two-for-one trades. Uh, they're reading websites that analyze the future prospects of various upcoming sets. These kids are little mini stockbrokers. It's amazing. Right. Um, you know, it helped kids connect with friends. It helped kids connect with their families. So, you know, trading card games, I believe, are still untapped for their potential to help with the people, or untapped in their potential to help people, but I believe there is plenty of potential there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's probably a good place to cap off. Absolutely. I got a little, uh, I got a little fiery there. Well, that's great, because it's... It's research that you did. You clearly feel very strongly about. Oh, yeah. I am glad that you finally had a place to discuss it. That is very true. Well, Jose, my man, it is always a pleasure. I'd love to come back if you'll have me. Well, uh, definitely. I'll see if I... Uh, if we find a cool psych study we need, a, uh, and we need a little help, I'll definitely hit you up. Uh, Sounds like a plan. How about uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on my Twitter, which I never use, so I am currently looking it up. Uh, I believe it's at BillySense. I don't know if it's with an I or a Y. You can also find me on my professional Facebook page. Dr. Billy San Juan. Um, you can Google Dr. Billy San Juan. Um, it's also facebook.com backslash Billicent, B-I-L-L-I-C-E-N-T. And my Twitter at Billy, B-I-L-L-I underscore Sense, S-E-N-S-E. Uh, feel free to hit uh, like on either one of those uh, for updates on my projects and what's going on. Billy is a wonderful psychologist who does a lot of interesting thinking, and I respect him as a friend and a colleague. So it was a wonderful having him. I do, I do technically have to put in a caveat. Um, I am not yet a psychologist, but I am a doctor of psychology. Fair distinction. Hopefully, so, in a few months, I will happily accept the term psychologist. But for now. Dr. Billy has provided 
insight on the worlds of magic, Batman, and Iron Man, <laughs> Star Wars. He's, he's given us a lot to talk about here. So thanks again. Anytime. Expert Citation is hosted by Joe Cuevas, Kelsey McCoy, and Tyler Birch. Expert Citation is also produced by Joe Cuevas. Our opening and closing music was also provided by Tyler Birch. Find more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Tyler dash James dash 4693. Expert Citation is a production of the IamKuhan.com network. More great podcasts at IamKuhan.com.